0: All right, so it's going to be a little bit noisy post-show because I'm going to run the 3D printer for Greg. Uh, I uploaded... Listen,
1: place the sun's in the background. Yeah,
0: I uploaded Herp's uh, Challenge Coin to the printer. It's heating up right now. And once the everything gets up to temperature, it will start printing. And you hear the wonderful song of stepper motors. And because it's circular, it really does sing. You're like... Okay. So...
1: Well, I have some interesting stuff to talk about. I think the the first thing we should mention
0: is Trump and his steak eating habits. Um, (laughs) So finally you're ready to talk about Trump. I like this. I like this a lot. You didn't want to talk about Trump at all, but now because he eats his steak well done with ketchup. It's noteworthy. It is offensive to me. Uh, Ironically offensive or to your core, offensive.
1: Oh, ironically offensive. Okay. I mean, he, all right, I'm, just making sure. Yeah, I'm not not actually angry about it, but I do I, I do feel like it's destroying. I mean, it's destroying money, is what he's doing. He's throwing money away. He goes to one of his restaurants and, uh, and at his hotel into you know, this this uh, steakhouse restaurant where he gets an, an age New York trip, fifty five dollars an age New York trip. And ruins it. This is a beautiful piece of meat that he then orders well done and eats with ketchup. That is just... That is taking money and lighting it on fire. It's taking a beautiful cow and a beautiful piece of meat and turning it into a brick that will be shat out as the blackest stool you can imagine.
0: (laughs) It's, yeah, um... kind of fits in the whole narrative that we have for him. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's as a foodie I I like I'd be embarrassed for him if I was at the same table when he ate it. Um, Just because like I mean but I wouldn't like jump on him while I was there. I'd certainly say what the hell like just think to myself wondering a well done steak with ketchup. Like Just get a sirloin if that's what you're going to do, right? I mean... Non-even. Get a meatloaf. (laughs) Yeah, just get a burger. If that's what you want, just get a burger. There's really not much difference. Once you you take that meat past... Like, even a hair past medium, you are...
0: You've ruined it, as far as I'm concerned. You've turned it into something that it... Obviously, food's not... He's not a foodie, right? It's dog food at that point. Well, sure... But ordering the rare, or the age steak, the expensive steaks, it's a status thing. Because Just because his taste in food is awful.
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't actually say anything about the man. It says something about his tastes. I mean, it says something about
0: his willingness to try new things for sure dude. maybe well, that's how he's the healthiest person to ever run for <laughs> it's not to... oh, I mean <sighs> alright the printer is starting so right now it's finding it's zero point because it bases everything off the stop switches in the front left bottom
1: so let's talk about the sun of the lens. This was interesting. That was, yeah, that was really interesting. So this was a proposal NASA is accepting or or going through this process where they're looking at they have this um, kind of a Skunk Works type thing where they they're they're doing Mm -hmm. this 2050 thing. They're accepting like proposals for wacky ideas of of plans uh, that could be possible around 2050, Uh, and one of these proposals. Was a type of telescope, a planetary imaging telescope, that could have a resolution of a faraway planet at up to something like, wow, that that is kind of musical.
0: Yeah, with those circles that sings to you, or hexagons are pretty singy too. So,
1: one of these proposals was using the sun's gravity as a lens. You could view something up to ten kilometer resolution.
0: So the thing I couldn't. So I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I do have things I want to ask you about yeah. this, but I definitely want you to lay the foundation. So okay.
1: The idea is essentially using gravitational anom- anomalies. That it so we've
0: used growth. gravitational lensing in the past. Of faraway stars Mm -hmm. to see things even further away.
1: Right. We see, like, uh, Einstein rings around something. That's when you you have something just directly in front of something else, and you see a ring of that around the object, and then we can use that to interpolate what the object is that looks behind behind it. (laughs) What?
0: Hey Siri, shut the fuck up.
1: That's weird. I don't even have Hey Siri turned on.
0: Maybe it hurt the three D printer. And I have no idea what <laughs> happened there. Okay, that happens to Heather too. She said, she claims she doesn't have a Siri turn on, and a couple times a week, Siri wakes up and says, "What? What did you say?" That's that's strange. It's never happened on my phone, but it happens on Heather's. It's, it's, on it's your faces. house and the ghosts yeah, there in it. this house.
1: Um. Anyway, the. Uh, the idea is that you use the sun to produce an Einstein ring, mm-hmm. uh, but, and you, but there are complications
0: with that idea. Well, I love the article, but it's like, the, it, says, it says, I'm not joking, the only practical way to image an exoplanet directly is to do this method. Right. And they're considering putting a telescope how far out? The initial proposal was 550 AU. Now, to give you an idea, Pluto is 30 AU. It takes us 10 years to get to Pluto. Right. With a high-speed thing that doesn't have to stop.
1: And it should be noted that Deep Horizons won't get to 550 AU in 100 years. So Practical. Yeah. So, not, but, but in order to get the accurate... But that was just for the initial proposal. Then there was another... Study on this, where they said, "Well, you'd have to actually do the Einstein ring, and to do that, you need to get around 2,500 AU."
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And then there are issues with okay. Then when you do that, you first of all you have to have it pointed directly at the star and planet you're going to look at because you have to know exactly where it is. Because mm-hmm. unlike, because you can't actually move the telescope, right? You have to. <laughs> so it's going to be basically situated in space And it like has it... to watch something pass by And it only has about 14 milliseconds to watch something
0: Right, the question was, is it going to stay there? Because it's not like a Lagrange point, right? It's yeah. going to be in an orbit, so it's just going to zoom past Right. So I was going to ask you that The other thing I was going to ask you I think you've laid enough foundation for this question yeah. Is Okay, you can get to this lensing focal point but you have the light passing on both sides of the sun, getting curved towards this focal point. What if you had two satellites in orbit on the sides of the sun, on opposite sides of the sun, and interpolated from those images? Why is this lensing point better? That's what I couldn't figure out. Oh, because it's from 360 degrees, all coming down to a cone. Mm-hmm. So instead of from two points, it's con- ah. So I just had to ask the question with words out loud. Yeah. So you would need thousands of probes all around the sun. To get to this get sharp this. image okay. which you would get. I was thinking two Because when I drew a diagram I drew it in two dimensions So right. I just saw the top and the bottom I wasn't thinking about all the other light Right, but you would see this Basically
1: All around in, in the ring Yes. In, you know, so one time. you
0: calling it an Einstein ring Helped me answer my question mm-hmm. But not before I said it out mm. loud but still,
1: yeah. So it, it's it's one of those proposals that's like it's. I think it's a really neat idea. It's completely impractical. But also, what is interesting to me about it is, um, the just what think just thinking along those lines. Maybe we'll be able to think of some way to to use that gravity in a different way, mm-hmm. or, or or to use the the concept in some way to get some. Some better image or something else, right? Just to you know, start down that path of thinking along that line and see where it gets you to. So that was neat. Um, practical, practical. Yeah. Uh, speaking of practical, the uh, uh, this week we had the Amazon Web Services outage, right? Which was uh, it du- took down a lot of shit. Took down a lot of shit. Um, if you if you know if you don't have a job where you had internet during the during around like twelve to four or so, uh, Eastern Time, you may not, not have even noticed it. But a lot of even like iCloud, all all these things use Amazon Web Services,
0: um, and it was main problem was S three went down, which is their bucket storage, object storage. Yeah. Um, you know, surprisingly, little affected me. It it was hours into the outage before anyone asked me about it. Mm-hmm. And then once I knew about it, the only thing that I, I act, that actually affected me personally is when I tried to put paste an image into Slack because the image, oh, the image storage in Slack is S three. I know Imgur wasn't
1: working, and you know, there, a lot of a lot of stuff wasn't working. Even the Amazon Web Service like dashboard wasn't working, uh, and it was all done. I don't know if you saw the postmortem. They had a very detailed yeah. postmortem yeah. they wrote up.
0: Uh, kind of a cascading failure, yeah. like our feedback loop. Yeah, and
1: it's just one of those things that happens. It's it's, it's a kill one situation. And, you <laughs> know, I recognize
0: those things. And yeah. The um, the thing, you know, so Amazon, they tout like 11.9's durability. Mm-hmm. Durability is not availability. Durability is losing data, right? The odds of them losing your file is like, it'll happen once every 20 billion years, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but availability, their you know their uptime is much lower. It's still great. It's still great for yeah. the kind of service it is. I mean, S three's down much less than than Google Apps is down. Well, the interesting thing that happened
1: was that apparently you know they they meant to take down some servers. They took down more servers than they thought, and then when they realized the mistake and they tried to bring them up, they took longer than expected. To boot up because they were doing all the indexing stuff and that took mm-hmm. a lot more time because they had never actually shut these down fully. <laughs> so it just so really, it was just that the time it took to to restart these servers was the main issue with why it was taking so long right. to bring back up. Okay, um, and then once that happened, everything you know like it went back to normal.
0: And the could, thing was, it was only in one region, right? So like Imager and Slack and all these companies. Granted, it was a weird failure state, right? Because it was reporting like higher than expected errors. It wasn't saying, it wasn't connection refused. It wasn't service down. It was, oh, high error rates. The apps, and what Amazon's going to say in the long run is, oh, you need to make your app more resilient to this error state and flip over to another S3 endpoint. So if anyone would have been able to go in and commit a new change to say, connect to Amazon West instead of Amazon East, this stuff would have worked fine.
1: That, uh, I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, you expect to happen you know, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. These, kind of, these are very complicated systems that are all talking to each other and, uh, and while you, t- you do a lot of work to do this you know, graceful degradation, sometimes you don't expect these sort of cats.
0: I, mean, I have a problem at work with Google. We switched to Google Apps for Business. Now they call it G Suite. Um, oh, my life is so much better than running my own email server. We didn't even run Exchange. We run uh, an Exchange-like product called Zimbra. Um, but it was just just making sure the backups were always working was such a pain. And we didn't have a lot of data, but we just didn't have a great backup infrastructure. Switching over to Google Mail and, and then everything else you get yeah. for free because Google Mail is worth the price of admission is great but you know it goes down once or twice a quarter for a few hours and it's it's annoying but thinking of like the my cost saved of having to maintain mail all the time it's no brainer
1: I don't notice a lot of people yelling at Amazon and going, like, oh, my God, I'm going to quit Amazon now because I think people just sort of expect that... There
0: was a lot of yelling, but then they're going to have to refit all their stuff to use, what, Google Cloud right. or I mean, the, the, Azure the, at Microsoft The Cloud. product
1: has been so reliable, and that's the reason why they was yelling, because it all yeah. of a sudden isn't reliable for, for a small period mm-hmm. of time. But then you know, it comes right back up and it just was reliable again, and you just say, okay, well, they learned their lesson, and they, they came out with a, you know, with a very quick... Uh, report, very open about what had happened, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. I mean, yeah. Um, and, you know, I can, you know, respect. it's one of those things where it's like, if an employee does something like that, and they're honest and they'd say exactly what happened, then you can fix that right away. If they are dishonest and they try to hide it, that's when you're like, alright, you know, no. you, you you made us work around and try to find this and we found out that you that you did this. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I hope they, they don't fire that employee because it seems like the employee was up front or, or whatever happened was they yeah. up front about exactly what happened and
0: okay. I well, a, I've had a few of those in my career. Yeah. I've learned a long time ago there's no point in trying to cover it up. Yeah, You know, just come clean. Oh, I, I fucked up.
1: Just, just, you know, if you are, admit, I, I, whenever I mess something up I always say it was me because there's no point in trying to hide it uh, and, I respect the honesty of being like, okay, well, yeah, you fuck up. It happens. Mm-hmm. You just don't do the same wrong thing again. Yeah. And and Amazon's you know, they built, they've built their, they updated their tools so that kind of thing won't happen again. And they're looking into, they're reprioritizing how they're updating their services so this, so they're looking at this kind of thing happening. What can prevent this kind of thing from happening again? Mm-hmm. You learn from failure. That's how you learn. So it's an important stepping stone. Right. And it's important to know that, you know, even when these failures happen, they can be resolved relatively quickly. Four hours isn't that bad. I mean, it's in the middle of a work week. It's you mm-hmm. mean, they, There's talk about like $150 billion lost in terms of... The, I don't know how they get to those metrics, but um,
0: yeah, I hear you. I'm curious whether this Octopi web program uh, is, is already doing the time-lapse or whether I have to tell the to start... Oh, it's off. Let me turn on time lapse. Oh, I can't. Oh.
1: So we're seeing like the two sides of the coin being, being put down. So yeah, uh, so
0: this is the one where I kind of cut it in half and told it to print two sides side by side, and then I will either glue or fuse them together. Probably be easier to use super glue, but we'll see. I was thinking if I do another one of these, what I may do is I may. Make alignment pegs where there's a a hole on one side and a peg on the other side so they snap to get like not snap but at least align. But I didn't want to take the time. I wonder, I figured you'd want to see the thing in action before you left. So let's talk about sweet habaneros. Oh my god, yeah, I didn't mean I know you said you know, don't be a heat snob or something, but oh i think it'd be great but you know it was kind of part of me was tormented it's like okay so there's the it's habanada the habanada yes and uh, it's 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 a punny thing nada meaning no heat right
1: uh it's a habanero that has no uh zero on the skullville's index so it has no capsaicin bite to it so it has all the pretty flavors. I haven't tried one. I really want to because one of the things I love about habaneros is they're so, they have such a wonderful flavor to them, but they're so hot that you you can't experience a lot of that flavor. So I really want to try one of these habanada sweet peppers that have the flavor habanero without any of the hotness. And you were like,
0: cool, but no heat? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily want my habanero experience to be accompanied with ears ringing heat. But a portion of the heat is, I, I like it, you know, it, and I'm, I'm really curious what the flavors without the heat taste like. Because it's kind of hard to separate the two.
1: Yeah, I want to I try it. I, you know, I, now,
0: I'm, the one example I had in the article was uh, habanada sorbet. That sounds amazing. There's not enough savory sorbets and ice creams out there. Yeah. So anytime I see a s ice cream or a sorbet like that, I'm like, yes. Yes. There's a there's a, like an ice cream shop in Cranberry here. It's called Icebox. And she does it all herself. You know, she, she like is never not working. You know, it's her thing. I mentioned to her about savory ice creams and she like gave me this like goofy stare. You know, she's all about traditional type ice creams. And it's good ice cream. But man, I want habanero ice cream. I want—I know bacon's overused, but I mean it's a good example in this case, right? right? You know, I want a bacon ice cream. I want her to take things that are not ice creamy and make ice creams out of them, and she just ain't gonna go there. Uh, you know,
1: it's what she wants to do, so it's her business. Yeah. Uh, but I want to try one of these habaneros, but I don't. But the only thing that I can find is get the seeds and have to grow them.
0: I don't want that. I want to just buy him. just gotta find someone who's growing peppers anyway Yeah. and buy him the seeds I don't I mean I, I don't know a guy maybe Dan at work might be growing them or growing things like that yeah I, I mean I'm not set up to, to grow peppers the last time I tried to grow peppers it was a horrible failure um but if you can find someone who's already growing jalapenos, habaneros uh Buy them a couple packs of Habananas. Yeah, and say, hey. I just want half. I just want half.
1: <laughs> Here's the seeds. Um, we didn't talk about this, but uh, FCB extends their seasonal beer double down. A Goza IPA. Oh, oh, what would that be like?
0: Yeah. We were both like, what? Well, I mean, so, you know, we're talking about like the, the reputation of breweries and their pilsners and how few I trust. FCB is kind of one of those breweries where I, I don't have expecta- high expectations no matter what the beer is it's yeah. just not my thing. Um, this
1: is interesting. This was a, in a in a thread about um, black holes and they were talking about mini black holes. The the point being that a mini black hole you wouldn't really call a black hole really. So okay, uh, a mini so a mass of about three point five million kilograms, which was I think. Someone I was trying to say if you took Manhattan. Look in
0: that live video. Ah, look at that. I thought it was going to be like s- screen caps, right? But no, this, this webpage, this Octopi thing. I got live video of my 3D printer from the webcam. Neat. Yeah. Pretty cool.
1: So, this is, if they took Manhattan and turned into a black hole. mean mass about 3.5 million kilograms. Uh, produced a black hole with a lifetime of about 60.1 minutes. Okay. Uh, this would be about 5.2 zeptometers, which is about 5.2 times 10 to the negative 21 meters, or about 1 one-thousandth the diameter of a proton, releasing more energy every second than a gigaton bomb.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. It would have
1: an effective surface temperature of 35 quadrillion degrees Kelvin, which is 10 million times hotter than the core of stars that are about to go supernova. For 60.1
0: minutes. It's hard to think of that as a black hole. (laughs) Yeah. Did you see my tweet about extreme numbers? Yeah, I did. So the article... I I wanted to... I was... So the article was disappointing, but there was a few nuggets of useful things in there.
1: Well, I mean, it was from one of those rogue NASA things. It was about millions and trillions, right? Trying to get you to understand those things. Well,
0: when I saw extreme numbers, I was like, oh, here's an article that'll refresh me on arrow notation. You know yeah. the numbers where there's more digits in the number than there are atoms in the universe type numbers
1: right, but what it, the thing is about those is is and i meant I wanted to tweet you back on that I that said numbers really aren't very useful for anything
0: they're fun to think about
1: in, in some to me okay.
0: right but so i was I was let down by the content article, which was didn't even get to quadrillion, but you know there were some nuggets of really useful things, so a million <laughs> seconds. What did I say? How many? That's like six days, seven days, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And a billion seconds is thirty-two years. Right. And that they're talking about, um, you know, communicating these things in ways that give you a better intuition mm-hmm. of the number. And that, well, you like, take
1: you take that seven days, you multiply by a thousand, and you get thirty-two years. So, but
0: because we we're so bad at figuring out a thousand times seven and appreciating what that is right, yeah. when it's the length of a day. You know, that, that is it's so insightful, I think, to so many people. I mean, I I would like to think that I knew that how big a billion was and it wasn't two million, it was a thousand million. But picturing it in seconds like that, because you can oh. quantify that at least, because you've yeah. you've lived that
1: long, so you know what thirty-two years is, and that's. I mean, it's a great example. I think it helps yeah. everyone
0: better because appreciate because seven a days billion. or
1: thirty-two years is a big is a big difference, and so you can sort of see that that scale right there. That scale is, is now very apparent to
0: you because because you can you can at least picture that. Difference. Well, I mean, it actually helps people understand what an order of magnitude is. Mm-hmm. It's not like double. And when the article started out, well, it was it's like
1: three orders of magnitude. So it's you know it's it's
0: right. right. Uh, but what I was saying, you know the article started out, it's like talking about extreme numbers like millions. <laughs> like okay, and so I was like, but I, I followed it through. and when it got to that visualization thing. I'm like this is useful. This is worth you know tweeting out. Yeah, and,
1: but I mean, but you mentioned that you, you were disappointed. And I was thinking like I mean those numbers, those grams numbers and, and tree numbers, yeah. those aren't really useful. Or for anything that you do practically. And I'm... Well, no. are tr- no. number theory I, things. Are... I'm not a big number theory guy. I like more of the abstract math and concepts, and I'm interested in that stuff for sure. But numbers themselves don't interest me all that much. They're an artifact of counting. But, else.
0: you know, I don't even necessarily... I mean, it, to me it's fascinating that you have to come up with new kinds of notation because exponential notation can't even represent the number. That's fascinating.
1: Sure, but, like, I'm used to thinking about, like, when I'm doing the particle physics, I'm used to going into natural units, which is you make make everything equal to one, more or less. So, like, if you use natural units in, for example, relativity, you're talking about make C equal to one. And that just makes things so much easier. (laughs) But
0: you're already then going into ridiculous scales. So I, I wasn't so much looking for someone doing, you know, work in tree three. Mm -hmm. Grams number things like that I was looking for like like I said you know it's hard to imagine a number for most nerdy people a number that exponential notation can't represent because you can represent 10 to the 100 trillionth sure you know hundred centillionth, you know? But these numbers with arrow notation are, like, so vastly bigger. Yeah, I mean, you look at, like,
1: the the last, the latest Mersenne Prime, it's only, like, 2 to the 32 million something, right? And that's a ridiculously large number. It's It's like, 30 pages if you print out both sides. But it's... A number mm-hmm. you can print out. But yeah. yeah, you once you get into just the first part of Graham's number, just that first line, you're already past stuff that you can print out. Mm-hmm. And you're already into just ridiculous numbers that yeah. that, that are if you can try to represent them decimally, they just don't they're just nonsense. It's just a string of
0: ridiculous numbers. Um it's ridiculous. I find it it interesting. I'm never going to study it to any degree that I understand it even a little bit, other than, you know, they have to come up with new kinds of notation. I I just find that fascinating. But like I said, the article was redeeming. Even that just one nugget about something that most people can appreciate between million and billion is useful because, you know, next time they're confronted with, you know, someone's making a billion dollars or you know or you know something it they appreciate yeah. how vast that is
1: well the interesting thing of course with the grams number is that you have this number you start with zero and you have this number grams number which is just absurd but of course compared to infinity that number is basically zero it mm-hmm. is zero compared to infinity so it's it's one of those things where the reason why Graham's number was interesting was because it set a limit on a math problem. It was a ridiculous, absurd limit. But mm-hmm. it set an actual limit that was smaller than infinity. So, got, you know, nailed okay. down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it, it pretty much nailed it. <laughs> here's, here's the answer. between 12 and this ridiculous number. But it's not infinity.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Um... So that was a usefulness of grass number and in, in, to what extent it's useful. Uh, speaking of numbers, there's the scale complexity thing, which I I've, uh, was watching in a lecture from Neil Turok. And he was talking about how at the very smallest scales of the universe, the Planck scale, approximately 10 to the negative 36, negative 35, you have... Um, essentially, the universe is empty. Looks There's one thing as far enough as everything else that the universe seems to be pretty much uniform and empty. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the highest scales, 10 to the 32 meters, you're looking at something that is basically uniform. It's flat. It's uniform space. All the interesting stuff happens kind of right in the middle there, about 10 to the negative 4 meters, which is about the size of a cell. (laughs) That's where all the really complex stuff. So you have these ends, Mm -hmm. which dramatically very little is happening. Uh, As you get... And very little is happening as you, you, know, scratch, scratch, and then all of a sudden right. things start to happen, so and all we, the really interesting stuff happens. I mean, right? You told and me
0: that. Maybe got me thinking about, is there a, kind of like a bell curve distribution about size?
1: hmm I don't and know. The, I
0: mean, is that kind of a property of nature or something like that? That's what I was thinking it, about.
1: It just seems to be, so far, from what I can tell, just a weird coincidence. Uh, happy happenstance that you have seen to notice that that it kind of converges on this uh, right in the middle. Um, doesn't but that sounds like a bell curve. right? It sounds like a bell curve. I mean, it it the complexity seems to rise as you get to the middle, and then it goes you know down again, and definitely at, asymptotically as you approach the the end. Um, so probably if you were to graph expected complexity, I suppose. But then again, I mean, there are you're you're looking at tiny islands of the universe where we see this scale mm-hmm. yeah. being interesting. And most of the universe's scale is not interesting at
0: all. The other interesting thing is, like, the interesting... the the range is interesting is from a cell to a galaxy, right? Right. A <laughs> well,
1: galaxy groups probably. <laughs> but, okay.
0: Yeah. That, that's immense. You know, it's... But well, it's the range is interesting. It's, 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 hard, actually, it's is, hard to, it, to appreciate... The, the scale outside of that because well the
1: range entering is about like that ten to twenty one meter and to negative twenty one which is about you know like one one thousandth a scale of a proton it's about the mm-hmm. that's about how far like a W boson goes before okay. it decays um, and then you have and and so that's really like the small assistance that really comes important in terms of quantum effects but you get smaller than that it's we just don't have the energy to probe at that. But it doesn't seem like we don't have any theory that says there's anything really there, and so it just goes down, 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 down. Okay. And then, uh, you get up to about 10 to the 20, 10 to 21, 10 to 22 meters, and you're talking about now you know galactic the right. areas of, of, of big ga- you know, galaxy groups, and then mm-hmm. you just keep going further and further and further, and you get to the size scale of the observable universe, and it's basically this flat.
0: Right just is big flat it, it's thing. interesting, I mean i like I said, it's hard to know what kind of conclusions to draw, especially with someone who knows as little as I do, yeah, but you know, like I said, it got me wondering, is there a property of nature that makes everything coalesce in the middle
1: uh it does seem like all the interesting stuff
0: is all the very the stuff that but then I guess you know, as the universe expands, if it coalesces to the middle, then Cells, I guess, uh, you know, like cells should fall out of that sweet spot, you know, or something like that. But yeah, right? as the universe expands, you know, it, it, those like if you take my 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 horrible hypothesis and play it into <laughs> the expanding universe, what's that mean for cells that fall out of the sweet spot? You know, assuming like that, that we're
1: correct about the universe expanding?
0: I saw that recently. What did? Like last week, I saw. I didn't follow up on it. But I saw an article about how. You know, Einstein abandoned the Static Universe theory in, mm-hmm. what, 20-something? Well, when, you know? when Hubble came out yeah. with the fact that... And the then, like, started. but, like, I can't remember what the headline was, but it was like, but there's more! <laughs> you know, there well, might be something about this.
1: There's reasonable questions to ask about inflation theory, uh, which seems to fit the data. And right now, there's no reason to really... There's no good reason to say inflation theory is wrong. But there is definitely reason to think that it may not be the whole story and or may not be the right interpretation of the data. Okay. Uh, there's... So the problem essentially is about isotropy and anisotropy. It's about the fact that what we see when we look at the cosmic microwave backgrounds of the universe is remarkably similar at far points to to itself, it looks like it's it's pretty much essentially at the same temperature at this point when you know this last point that we can observe, uh, and we know those parts were, were were not connected to each other. So it seems strange that they would that they would all be the same temperature unless there was some event that sort of mixed them all together so they were all the same temperature and then blew them up. Okay. And that's what inflation is trying is, is to—it trans- essentially says these all the stuff mixed together and then blew up very quickly. So you didn't get a chance to have major anisotropies, major differences in the temperature. You see them; you can map them. There are differences about mm-hmm. one to hundred, one part in hundred thousand. That's the differences you see in those like Kobe maps. That's the difference between a hot and cold spot. So you can see that, I mean, we were able to get that kind of resolution, which is amazing and awesome, but it's still remarkably uniform, the temperature from that period. And and the idea is that if there is no faster than light signaling, those parts of the universe should not have been able to Mm -hmm. be at that uniform temperature. Uh, So inflation is a way to explain that. And it works and it presents us with an expanding universe and we see an expanding universe. It, pre- it, it, it answers a lot of questions, but there's no convincing evidence other than the fact that this model answers a lot of questions. There's no actual evidence for inflaton field. There's no actual evidence for inflation. Uh, oh, so,
0: okay, I get inflation, but and I didn't read the article, so maybe I'm confusing two things. But, I mean, doesn't redshift pretty much nail that the, the universe is expanding Seems to be. right now? There are two I mean, ways. What's the argument against... I mean, maybe you have to tie in other things to make the argument, but the question to you is, what's the argument against taking standard candle like stars and seeing them redshifted and knowing that they're increasingly moving away from us?
1: So there are two arguments against this. One is going against the Copernican principle which is that we are not in the special place. If we are in the middle of a sort of, in in like very, in the middle or very close to the middle of a area of space that is being, that is in some sort of circular depression, then like in some sort of circular potential of gravity for some reason, then we would see exactly what we would see. But it it would imply that we would be
0: in some very special place in the universe. Well, isn't, we're in the middle of what we can see. We're in the middle of our light cone, right? So, but it, but it would, it would maybe, imply you that... know. I mean, like we talked about this before, but the last you know last we talked about it is like the, the I guess the best guess is we can see about three percent of the universe. You know, is what we can see. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do. But, with... I mean, so but but seeing that like everything is uniform around us just means we can't see enough of the universe to see the
1: because we're, we're well we ex- we see things that you know in all directions. Moving away from us, however far it is, the further it is, the faster it's moving away from us. So if we were in some sort of like dip that keeps in, you know in the se- in, in a, or about near the center of a dip that keeps, if you imagine something in like a uh, a flat plane, but then you pull down, right? So so you have some some spot in there. It mm-hmm. would see everything right. around it. I mean, but what I'm trying to what I'm
0: proposing that... is that. In the tiny little bit that we can see, we're not near any edges, right? So everything uh, yeah, is still yeah. normalized, so and it, it
1: does—it it certainly goes against the Copernican principle that we are not in a special place. There's no reason to, ex- to, to think that we would be in such a special place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't—that that idea doesn't does carry much weight. It's a way you can explain it without there being yet specialty Okay. Notes. Another way you can explain it is that for whatever reason, our interpretation of the data is wrong which could always be the case maybe our, our way of interpreting standard candles around maybe the way in which these uh, these supernova that we're using or the Cepheid ra- variables are different in the past than, than we expect those are possibilities they, mm-hmm. they aren't likely
0: yeah, I mean that's a question not you know you know with Cepheid variables right you know okay so we're using these because we feel that they're the same everywhere mmm so the ones that are really far away are redshifted. It's really the the type 2 A's that we're using most of the standard yeah, candles you, now. You definitely have much more information on this. But, the, you know, the question is, you know, like, how much stock can we, should we put into this is a loaded question because it goes to you gotta trust what you can observe so we think and we, that's, yeah. that's the core of my belief system right well, so putting a question into that we is... think
1: we know what type 2a's are type 2a's mm-hmm. are a particular type of supernova that happens when a white dwarf is uh, accreting matter from a from its twin from a stellar twin and it gets to a certain point past the Serenkov limit, and it explodes a 1.4 stellar masses. And that's a type 2 supernova, right. and we think we have a very good graph and a very good idea of what the luminosity of those are. So that way we can then right. use them as standard candles. Now, we've seen some variation, but it's very minor, the sort of variation that we've seen, so we still think that we have a very good idea of what these things are, and we can see them, we can see their see the ways in which they... You know the same thing is happening all over mm-hmm. the universe, and we right. use those as standard candles and those definitely are our best from what I understand our best way of of determining this uh, right this, thing. And this and this is where the expansion it was measuring this it got into the fact that the universe is accelerating as because they were trying to measure the Hubblecons. they're trying to measure how much the universe was how fast it was expanding, but they expected it would be slowing down, and everyone expected this. And then two studies within, like, a month of each other both said, no, nope, it's speeding up. And it was a revolution in terms of astronomy, because it was like, whoa, this is... Kind now, do
0: odd. you know how they determined that? Like, they weren't able to take the, the readings of the same star and seeing it getting redder, or bluer, redder, redder. I mean, they did it some other way, right? I mean, well, they,
1: they, they took spectroscopy, and they found supernovas, um, and they found out how far they, they were away. Oh, so, their luminosity so this one is assuming that they that they have the standard, same standard luminosity. Then you measure one far away, and you can see mm-hmm. how, where it shifted, red and blue, and and how dim it is, and
0: based on how far away it is. Uh, oh, okay. So you can use luminosity as yeah. well. So things of the same luminosity, but, but we, they've only been sampling over such a short time period.
1: Well, they had a, a lot of data. Because oh. these things happen all the yeah, time okay. in, in the universe. Um, they have only happened, you know, once or twice a, a century in, in a galaxy, but there are right. hundreds of billions of galaxies out there. So they're really happening all the time. We see it happening all over the place. Um, mm. But we use those, and we get decent odds, and 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 then you you, you get a lot of measurements, and then you average those measurements. Mm. Okay, and that's a general right. way to just you know get down how these things are working and, and you then plot them and you see how the how the curve looks and the curve actually showed an expanding mm-hmm. universe as opposed to a, a universe that's right. slowing down. Okay. Math yeah,
0: statistics, basically. Cool. Okay, um, And we're not going to print in every post show. <laughs>
1: it's noisy. Um I, I I suppose you haven't watched any of the Star Trek's or good
0: places? I haven't yet. I, I, I will. I'm not avoiding them. Just a lot of this shit going on. <laughs> Legion we Legion. Great. Yes. We haven't talked about that at all, have we?
1: A little bit. I think we talked about the, how I love the first episode. Okay. And then the second episode I thought it was a little iffy, but then the third episode
0: picked up again. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth episode is crazy crazy go nuts. Fourth one's the one that's out right now? The yeah. current one? Yeah, so it came out like the night or the night after i got the printer uh-huh and i started playing it but then i was like 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 oh i cannot follow this pain it starts like, with
1: Jermaine clement in an ice box <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, <laughs> that scene where they're sitting in the room that was awesome yeah but then you know like walking they're walking through a forest I'm like i don't know what the fuck's going on anymore i gotta stop this and watch it again later
1: there's an interesting, There's good stuff that happens. I'm definitely interested to see what you. But yeah, this is, it's a great show. I love it. Noah Holly is is like is he can do no wrong right now. Both seasons of Fargo were fantastic, and this is mm-hmm. also
0: fantastic. I had to look up the uh, the female lead. She was in Fargo season two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she looks so different. Yeah. Like she she looked. Yeah, I was. So I'm like, oh, she's familiar, but I couldn't place her. And and like, for for a moment, like in the first episode, I'm like, is that Jillian Jacobs? I like, I, I couldn't.
1: It's kind like, of the same similar look, yeah. And
0: some of the mannerisms too. Like how she was too cool for school mm-hmm. for in the in the asylum, you know. So I kind of. And then like I had to look her up, and no, like, oh wow, she's really different from her, you know. Feathered seventies haircut in yeah. Fargo.
1: <laughs> I think that's kind of it. I don't really have anything okay. else. Yeah,
0: I gotta go potty, so we can wrap
1: this. All right. Well, see, that's what the that's what the printer, printer sounds
0: like for everyone. You can check out the uh, the coin that I'm printing there, and let's see how much time's left. Does it say on the percentage on the bottom there when I start it this way? Uh,
1: 60%.
0: Okay, so probably another... another no, it's degrees. Thir- I'm sorry. Very bottom. Bottom right. Is that a percent? Maybe it th- I started it a different way, so maybe it doesn't have percent.
1: It said... I, no, I don't okay. see a percent. I see 1% says mole 100%, but I don't know what that means. And then uh, buff
0: 25 Here, let me see that cannot be right. So this is the first time I printed through this Octoprint thing. Uh-huh. It says there's four hours to go. Um, but it looks like it's, like, more than half done. So, I don't know. We'll see. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our post show. Thanks.